Today, we continue on our series, What is Salvation? What is Salvation? And we did the definition on the first episode. The second one, we did salvation as it is, as it is defined in the epistles. Are we together? And today we will be looking at the Savior. Praise the Lord. So just a recap, uh, we said that in the epistles, salvation is described as Christ's work of saving us from our sins. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the apostle Paul gives us a lead and says, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. That from a child, thou has known or has been acquainted with the Holy Scriptures. Remember we say the Holy Scriptures refers to the writings from Genesis to Malachi. The writings that expressly speak about salvation, that expressly speak about Christ contained in what we consider to be the Old Testament. And that from a child, thou has known the Holy Scriptures. What are the Holy Scriptures able to do? The Holy Scriptures, when you read Genesis to Malachi about Jesus, what that those scriptures are able to do, they're able to make you wise. Or they're able to make you become acquainted or conversant or knowledgeable about salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Through faith which is in Jesus Christ. That the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. So the salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. And we describe what salvation is, right? We say it is being rescued. It is being delivered. Okay? It, imply, it implies deliverance or rescue or bringing to safety. Alright? So Jesus is able to bring you to safety. Jesus is able to rescue you. Jesus is able to deliver you. Praise the Lord. Are we together? And Jesus is able to preserve your life, to protect you, to make you whole. Because in the root meanings of the word salvation, which is the word soteria, praise the Lord, is the word soteria. And in the Hebrew is the word Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus is the Savior, and Jesus is able to save, praise the Lord, to deliver, to bring to safety, to rescue you. Are we together? But then the question is, Jesus is able to save you. Jesus is able to rescue you. Jesus is able to deliver you. From what? Praise the Lord. Matthew 1.21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name 
Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. So Jesus is able to save you from sin. He's able to rescue you from sin and its consequences. He's able to deliver you from sin and its consequences. Hallelujah. It means that you will never be dominated by sin. Because Jesus is able to save you from sin. Hallelujah. Luke 177. Luke 177 says. To give, of, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people. By the remission of their sins. To give knowledge of salvation. Unto his people. By the remission of their sins. By the forgiveness of their sins. That's what Jesus does. He saves us from our sins. That was the primary assignment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son not into the world, not to condemn the world, but rather the world through him might be saved. That is the beauty of God's word. Hallelujah. That Jesus came for the remission of our sins. Praise the Lord. He came for the remission of our sins. And it is very important that we clarify that because this is the primary reason why Jesus came. The Bible says, for this reason, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of Satan. Praise the Lord. So it's important to understand why did Jesus come? It's a very important question. Remember in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus said to his disciples, he said to them, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. You hear that? He said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. What was written about Jesus in the law of Moses? What was written about Jesus in the prophets? And what was written about Jesus in the Psalms that had to be fulfilled? What was it? Verse 45 says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and that he would die and that he would rise from the dead on the third day. All right? So it was written in the law of Moses. It was written in the Psalms. It was written in the prophets that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and that he would die and that he would rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. What is that message? There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent, and you are witnesses of these things. Do you hear? It's very clear. Jesus said that the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which you consider the Holy Scriptures, they say that Jesus would die, he would be buried, and that he would rise from the dead, and that forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, and you are witnesses of these things. That is what was written about him. Praise the Lord. That is why Jesus came. 
He came that he might save people from their sins. He took upon himself his sin, our sins, and he nailed them to the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. Jesus received the payment of sin, which was death on the cross. That now we should no longer have to die for our sins. But as we identify with him, as we believe in him, we are buried in the baptism of death like him. We identify with his death. Therefore, as he died, so we consider ourselves to have died with him. And as he's resurrected, we also consider ourselves to be risen in the newness of life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So Jesus is the one who does the saving. That's why we call him Savior. All right. We call him Savior. So the word Savior, the word Savior, S-A-V-I-O-U-R, the word Savior was translated from the Greek word soter, where we also explain the word soteria means to save. Soteria is to save, salvation. Soteria is salvation. Soter is the Savior. You get it? All right? Soteria is salvation. In the in the in the Greek language, all right, all right. So are we together, guys? So I'm taking you slowly so you can understand these things because they will remain with you forever. Amen. So the word savior. Savior, the one who does the savings, the savior is the word soter, soter, S-O-T-E-R. Salvation is the word soteria in the Greek. Soter, S-O-T-E-R, which was taken from the Greek word sozo. Soter, soter comes from the word sozo. You remember, sozo, um, I explained to you the meaning of sozo. You remember, I told you sozo is saved, saved. All right, soteria, salvation. Sozo, saved. Soter, savior. All right. So the word savior is only from the Greek word soter, which was taken from the Greek word sozo, which we examined earlier. This implies that the word sozo was used by the authors to explain the action. Aha, mm. uh -huh. all right. Sozo is the word, in the English sozo is so there's the Greek word. What is it in English? Saved. saved. And saved is the action. Saved is the action, right? All right? So it explains the action while Soter speaks of the actor, the one who does the saving. Are we together? Therefore, to have salvation, there must be a savior. All right? This is foundational. It lays the foundation for every Christian doctrine you will ever believe. Any Christian doctrine you'll ever believe in your life is drawn from this. I can tell you, the way you believe the things of God is simply based on how you understand salvation. If you believe in curses, 
It's based on how you understand salvation. Are we together? If you believe in the underworld so much that you're always conscious of evil more than you're conscious of God, it's based on how you understood salvation, how you taught salvation. It's the basis of everything we ever believe. How you deal with money in the kingdom of God is drawn from how you understand salvation. If you're continually giving money to secure a certain kind of favors, it's again based on how you understood salvation. Are we together? The people who give money hoping that it's like a transaction with God. They hope that they can secure certain kind of favors or things like that. How we deal with mistakes and failures is drawn from how we understand salvation. There are people when they make a mistake, they sink into condemnation. They can even go for like a month in condemnation. They beat themselves up. They speak negative things of themselves. It's also drawn from how they understand salvation. Because this is the fundamental teaching of scripture. Are we together? Even in the mission statement of Jesus, in all the things that relate to Jesus, they primarily speak about salvation. All right? So now, for there to be salvation, there must be a savior. So let's look at also historical context. Now, why do we look at historical context? For example, um, how many of you have prophetic gifts here? Or uh, maybe you have, uh, you, uh, okay, let's talk about some spiritual gifts. Uh, we call them, some people call them the, is it the seeing gifts for, for, lack, uh, for lack of that? Like either you dream or you see visions or, some, uh, uh, or sometimes you have word of knowledge, you know? Uh? Are we together? So let's look at that. How many of you ever see visions, spiritual visions from God or you dream spiritual dreams? You've had before, all right? You've dreamt something, then uh, it came to pass or God impressed something in you and you saw it. Um, okay. Sometimes they don't come as very obvious, right? It comes in a sort of like a parable. Are we together? Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, when it comes as a parable, um, let me give you an example. Um, you dream about advancement. And in that dream, you see trucks, heavy trucks that are moving in a certain direction, a big construction going on. And you, you're dreaming and you're seeing a big construction, for example. Then you wake up and you're like, that dream is very unique. What does it mean? Maybe you go to somebody who has the gifts of the interpretation of dreams or God gives you the interpretation and you understand that God is speaking about advancement. The question is, what did God use to communicate advancement to you? He used buildings. He used heavy trucks. Are we together? Or if he's talking about your future plans, he can use maybe, for example, a road. He can use a window. And somebody said, I saw a light coming in through a window. All right? So he uses visual things that you can understand. It's a visual language. Are we together? So even the writers of the Bible, when they were inspired by God, they would use things that they would relate with in their time. That's why a lot of dreams and parables speak about farms and seed. 
and leaves and trees. If you read the parables of the Bible, right? There was a, somebody, a, 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 a farmer went in and he was sowing seed in the farm. Some fell on the good soil, some fell on the... Yes, he's using a farmer. Praise the Lord. Because in their context, historically, there were farmers. So Jesus was using that example because they could understand. Are we together? Yeah. They would use chariots. All right? They would use chariots. They would use... What other language have you seen in the prophetic writings of the Bible in the Old Testament that they, they used? You remember Daniel's dream to Nebuchadnezzar? He saw a huge statue and the, the head was, the feet was this. The, they were using metal, descriptions of metal like bronze and, and iron because they were blacksmiths in their time because they used to fashion swords and shields. Are we together? So they would use that kind of language in their time. Praise the Lord. Are we together? Yes. Now, if God wants to talk to you today, God can use a high-speed train in a vision. Making sense? Then you come and tell somebody, I saw you in a high-speed train and God is giving you acceleration. It's not like it's anything. It's using a language that you can understand in your time. Are we together? He's using a language that you can understand to explain to you something spiritual. He's using a language that you can understand. All right? Somebody can come and say, I see you standing in front. Somewhere you're holding microphones. A lot of microphones, you know, like, what does that mean? Or maybe it means that God is giving you a voice to many nations. Are we together? Yes. So that's the kind of language. So also you have to understand, as the Bible was written, as the Bible was being written, they used language... They used language that was relatable to them. Praise the Lord. Is it making sense? I'm coming slowly and I believe you are learning. Praise the Lord. It will remain with you. Now, historically, the word soter that I've just told you, that word soter, which means savior, because it's in the Greek language. Because you remember, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. All right? So that's why we always... We don't look at the Greek meaning. We don't look at the Greek meanings to sound deep. We look at the Greek meanings to find some root words. Are we together? All right. For example, how many of you are in school? All of you. When you are studying, did sometimes your lecturers do some, um, what is it called? Definition of terms, etymology? The root meanings of words. In your course, did they use Latin sometimes to describe certain things? Even in law, we still use some of those root languages like amicus curia. <laughs> uh, those kind of words. Uh, they use persona non grata, those kind of things. We still use them, right? So why should it be any different as we're trying to seek the meaning of words? All right. So the word soter was used for princes, princes in the pre-Christ era before Christ came. Princes were called Soter. They used it for princes. And it referred, listen, 
it referred to those who conquered territories and actively protected their terrain or lands. It referred to those who conquered territories and actively protected their terrain of land. You can relate with some of those movies, Prince of Persia. All right? Make sense? Okay. So the authority of the prince or the king, the authority of the prince or the king depends on how he can protect his territory. The authority of the king or the prince depends on how he can protect his territory. And that is also where the word saved, sozo, also comes from. Because sozo means to protect from danger, from harm, or from evil. To protect from danger, from harm, or from evil. Then the soter, which is the prince, is the person who carries out that function. So when you're in a territory of a prince, he protects you from evil, from danger, and the consequences of sins. Praise the Lord. So when you are in Christ's territory, he protects you from danger, from evil, and from the consequence of sins. It makes sense? Yeah. It makes sense? That's why a believer cannot be harassed and continually tormented by demons. That is not the life of a believer. Because you are under the territory of the prince, the soter, the savior, which is Christ. Yeah. Praise the Lord. The Bible says he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. You're not in the kingdom of darkness. Praise the Lord. You can't be living your life so conscious of evil. That is not how we live life. We're not under torment. Neither are we under oppression of the devil. We are in the kingdom of the son. Now, this is the salvation we're talking about. With this simple explanation, do believers need to be going for deliverance service? Common sense question. Mm -hmm. eh? You have been delivered because salvation is deliverance. So should believers be sitting in a church, the whole activity of that Sunday, <laughs> casting out devils. You know those things that preachers do? <laughs> you know, it's like he's throwing bombs, the ridiculous things you see online, what these preachers do. I don't know, he's doing like a karate, <laughs> casting out devils, you know, these jokes people see. It is, it, it is simply the manifestation of their ignorance. How they have not understood salvation. 
Can I explain something to you? Um, when when SOV started, you can ask Pastor Dorothy. They used to deal with a lot of cases of casting out devils and everything. A lot, deliverance. Lynette was very much present there. <laughs> the moment they started teaching people the word, casting out devils decreased by almost 99%. Yes. By 99%, when you start teaching people the God's word, when you see a church where people are always casting out devils, just know the word is not there. That one I can tell you for free. I had done several missions. We used to go and preach and we used to cast out so many devils. <laughs> but we were very weak on teaching. <laughs> Praise God. Then when you start teaching, casting out devils go. You don't have to cast out devils. As a matter of fact, my personally, whenever we are ministering in a meeting and a demon manifests, some people say power. I don't see it as power. Destruction. The devil is trying to distract people from hearing God's word. But you see now for people who are immature and the babes, they see that's the power of God. They are jumping on their feet. Hallelujah. They're jumping on their feet saying that's the power of God. Why? Because they are, they are ignorant. Praise the Lord. They don't know. There's a time I went to preach in a certain school. And uh, I remember when I went to preach there, uh, I'll never forget when, when I went to preach there, When it was time for people to come and receive Christ, one lady started manifesting, acting crazy and screaming and rolling and everything. And people's attention was taken to that. So I would have said, the power of God is here. No. I cast out those devils and then we continue with the program, which is leading people to Christ. Because they were distracted so they were not going to receive salvation. Satan is crafty. Are we together? So we don't need to di di digress, but I'm just trying to explain to you in the simplest of ways. If you have been, if you're in the territory of the Savior and his responsibility is to protect you from sin and to keep you from evil. We even pray the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it from primary school. What did we used to say? Our Father, what in heaven? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, thy power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We used to say that deliver us from evil, but we always lived as if evil was always imminent. You're sleeping in the house, the wind blows, you hear a cup falling down. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Because you're so conscious. You're so conscious of evil. You're not conscious of the Lord's presence. The Bible says, greater is he that dwelleth in you than he that is in the world. He says he will give his angels charge over thee. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says he has surrounded you with favor as a shield. But you're always conscious than the present one who is with you, which is your Lord. Because he's there with you. We have seen his faithfulness. He has protected us and kept us time and time again. All right? So, the person who carries out the function of saving is the Savior. The one who 
who the root meaning is the word soter. He protects from evil and from danger and the consequences of sins. And I was explaining to you the historical context. It was a prince who protected his people from a certain kind of, who, who, who ruled over territory, all right? And he was in charge of that territory. That's why you would hear, praise the Lord. Are you following with me? Yes. What are the titles that have been given to Jesus? He's been called king. He's been called priest. He's been called prince. All right. How many of you have Jesus called CEO? Have you ever had Jesus called CEO, chief executive officer? Have you ever had Jesus called president? Context. So they were using their physical dwelling or habitation to try and explain spiritual things. So they were using their context. The context of authority, rulership, and dominion was assigned to a king or a prince. All right? So that's why Jesus is called king and prince. Why? Because there is a dominion, there is a rulership that he exercises of those that have come into his kingdom. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's the historical context, okay? Matthew 1, 21, which I read to you, says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So it is fundamental to understand that the word Savior is an active term, and it is used for a specific function. All right? It is an active term, and it is used for a specific function, which is to save people from their sins. Praise the Lord. So that word was used 24 times in the New Testament books of the Bible. That is Matthew to Revelation. They used it 24 times. Three times in the four gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the book of Acts, it was used two times. And in the epistles, 19 times. See the difference? In the epistles, 19 times. Now, let's track back a bit. Two Sunday, one Sunday, two Sundays ago when I was teaching you, I explained to you the meaning of the word salvation. Soteria in the Greek, Yeshua in the Hebrew. Are we together? And I say to you, soteria was used in a number of, it had a varied usage, salvation or saved. Either from physical harm, like when Peter was sinking in the water, he said, Lord, save me. Or when there, there, was a, there, there was a storm, they say to the Lord, save us, Lord, we perish. Are we together? They were being asking God, to, Jesus to save them from physical danger. Are we together? To save them from physical danger. But as much as the word has been used for physical danger, physical harm, there was a particular expression that was very specific to it, which was being saved from sin. And that is used mostly, it was mostly in the epistle. Are we together? Then I explained to you that there were types and shadows. Then there was the substance. Are we together? For example, I went back and I explained to you types and shadows from the Old Testament about Jesus. All right? Okay? Even in Genesis, it starts by saying, 
In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was, no, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the spirit of God hovered upon the waters. Darkness was upon the face of the deep end. The spirit of God hovered upon the waters. And God said, let there be light. That statement, let there be light, is used in the book of 2 Corinthians, which says, God, who said, let there be light, has shined in our hearts, bringing light to the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So even in the Old Testament, that expression itself was symbolic now pointing to Jesus being the true light. Are we together? There's a tree of life in, the, in Genesis, which is symbolic of Jesus. Praise the Lord. When they sinned, they were covered by God which is symbolic of how God has covered our sins because that it's, it's using the epistle. Praise God. You understand how you can see glimpses of salvation? Jesus comes and says, the end will be as it was in the days of Noah. All right? There, there was judgment coming and those who entered the ark were saved. Symbolically, Jesus being the one that we enter into and we are saved from judgment. So it's a book about Jesus. Are we together? Then when Jesus came, he performed miracle signs and wonders. Praise God. But the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus performed still were symbolic, but they were pointing to the real thing. The same way miraculous events, specific events that happened in the Old Testament pointed to the salvation of Jesus Christ Salvation that is from sin is the same way that his miracles also pointed to the same thing. Are we together? Yes. For example, we said Jesus turned water into wine and there was celebration. And now we see him talking about the new wine, which is salvation, which is the spirit. Praise God. Are we together? Yes. All right. We move from there, we look at some of the miracles Jesus did. Opening the eyes of the blind. Has the Bible used that expression for salvation? Yes. It's been used. Are we together? To open the eyes of the blind so that they can see the light of salvation. Those are expressions that are used. I don't need to go to the specific verses. You can trust they are there. Yes. Feeding people with bread. What did Jesus tell them after they ate bread? Don't look for the bread which perishes. He says, I am the living bread. <laughs> Praise God. So even the miracles were pointing to that. So now where do we find the explanation after understanding has come? Epistles. Are we together? The epistles is that now Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and they have been taken through school by Jesus. Because you remember when Jesus resurrected, he spent 40 days with them, teaching them, explaining to them what his resurrection now means. And if you want to know what he taught them, we don't need to struggle. It's contained in Luke 24. It's contained there, what he taught them. It is right there. He told them about salvation. He taught them about salvation. So Jesus spent 40 days teaching them about salvation. Praise the Lord. Yes. He didn't teach them about applying for tenders. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Um, so, are we together? So, every time you come across this expression, you will find majority of the usage in the epistles. Are we together? The definition of the believer will be found in the epistles. In the epistles is where you will find words like you are the sons of God, you are kings, you are priests, you are a royal priesthood, chosen generation, God's holy people, sons of God, uh, what, what other expressions are there? The workmanship of Christ, yeah, citizens of uh, uh, heaven, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the habitation of the Spirit. You get it? That's where you will find a lot of those expressions. Why? Because now they understood that Jesus had fulfilled the assignment. Now they were understanding of it. Are we together? You will find them in glimpses in the Old Testament. But in, even in the Gospels, you will find them in glimpses. But from the moment Jesus has died, now from Acts, moving into the epistles, is where you will find you are righteous, justified by faith, partakers of the commonwealth of Israel. You'll find all those things that describe us. We have been baptized into one body. We are living stones in the temple of God. You've come across those it's, it's, it's in the epistles. That's why if I want to call you guys to give me money, I will use the Old Testament. There is no preacher who is a false preacher who focuses on the epistles. You can't con people from the epistles. It's hard. How can I lie to you? Kamoi, <laughs> I, I want to make money out of you. I'm coming and tell you, my brother, for a seed of 50,000, connect to the blessing. Then I read to you Ephesians chapter 1. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You look at it and you're like, wait, why should I connect to the blessing and I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing? Are we together? So we have to connect. Praise the Lord. We have to, con we have to, I have to use the Old Testament to manipulate. And mostly I will use the title prophet. Are we together? Because the epistles is so hard. It's so hard to con somebody from the epistles. Even the tithe we like to ask people from, the epistles never speaks about tithing. It only mentions it in the book of Hebrews about Melchizedek, but it was actually an account of Melchizedek tithing unto Abraham to show the Abraham tithing to Melchizedek to show the acknowledgement of the priesthood that had no beginning or end, which was the priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. That was the context. It was about the priesthood, not about tithe. And secondly, the Bible does not even talk about Abraham tithing every month to Melchizedek. He actually tithed even from the spoils that he got from war. You get it? So, even to teach obligatory tithing, the one that I'm telling you today, the devourer is going to come and ambush you in your house I have to use I have to use the old testament you get it I have to use the old testament to make it but you see in the new testament we sacrificially give you can give 10% you can give 20% you can give 5% you give as a response of how much God has loved you that's why in the new testament giving was even more crazy 
You remember the Macedonian church, they gave out of the extreme poverty. Those guys were poor, but they gave. People were giving land for the good of the church. They gave, the Bible says, none amongst them had any need. That means that giving in the New Testament was even greater than what we see in the old. Are we together? But remember, the giving was as a response of knowing how much God has loved you. It was free. It was not manipulation. Yeah. We have a, it was a responsibility, but not a demand that is tied to certain kinds of punishment. So when you're free, you give freely. You serve God more. We, we have seen um, a similar kind of manipulation. And I don't blame, listen, sometimes the people who are teaching that way, sometimes the people who are teaching that way are ignorant. Are we together? So we can tell you, Sister Franca, you want God to bless you with a good husband, come and sing in the choir. <laughs> then you sing in the choir for 15 years, you haven't been married. You're like, why? Why is that? It's because they didn't know better. You don't sing to get a husband. We don't serve God to get things in church. We, serve, we don't serve God to get things. We don't serve God in church to get things. We serve him because we are in love yeah. with him. That's the motivation. We serve him because we are in love with him. And because we are in love with him, we take responsibility serious. We take it seriously. Are we together? Now, you will realize the usage of the word has been predominantly in the epistles. So it says, uh, we, from the above analysis, it was mostly used in the epistles. So we will examine how the word Savior was used in the Greek textbooks of the Bible, which is the New Testament. Let us look at how it was used. So in the Gospels, just write the verse, you don't have to write everything down, but also relax, the recording will be available even by tomorrow evening. Yeah. It can even be available by today, it's just that sometimes we go and we eat, we get sleepy. <laughs> but um, the word of God says in Luke one forty seven, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my savior. Luke 2.11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So who's the Savior? Jesus Christ. Observe the above scriptures. They use the word God my Savior and a Savior Christ. All right? The two scriptures I've read. Luke 1 47 says, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. God my Savior. Luke 2 11 says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So, God my Savior and Christ the Lord my Savior. Are we together? So, the question is, what did the author mean by Christ the Lord? What did 
What did the author mean by saying Christ the Lord? Paul, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, used the term the Lord for Jesus in talking about his incarnation, that is, his descent into the earth. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47 says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. He explained the same to the Philippians in Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Hence, those two statements, Luke one forty-seven and Luke 2.11, conferred deity on Jesus Christ. He's not only a savior, but he's a deity. Why is that important? Because you will understand why is that important? Because I just told you that the term savior was used for earthly princes. Do you understand? I just told you the term savior was the word soter, which was used for princes. And it was used in the historical context for, for princes. Okay, but why was Paul particular saying Christ our Lord, God my Savior? Was he just using it for fun? Why? 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 Mm -hmm. Do you know why? To put a distinction that Jesus was not any other kind of king. Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay, let me explain it further. When Jesus was about to ascend, when Jesus was about to ascend, okay, when Jesus was about to ascend, his disciples asked him a question. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this particular time? You remember they asked him. How many of you remember reading that in Acts chapter 1? How many of you ever read that scripture? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Before Jesus rose, the disciples asked him, who has ever read that? Do you know why you are asking him that? Because they were tired of the Roman colony. They were tired of the Roman colonizers. They, they thought the savior was going to come like a prince, conquer that nation, deliver them to their own country. The same way they were used to people like David, kings who were people of war fighting physical battles. Are we together? But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So Paul says Christ, our Lord, God, my savior, to show you that this particular prince, this particular savior, all right? This particular savior, this particular prince is not like any other king. So don't think of him as a natural king. Are we together? Because there are those who just thought Jesus is just a prophet. You know, there are those who still say Jesus is just a prophet, son of David. 
but he had to show them that this savior is God. He's heaven sent. Straight from heaven. That's Jesus. Hmm? You get the point. He had to show them that. That's why Paul uses Luke 1, 47, Luke 2, 11. He uses God, my Savior, Jesus. He uses, for unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Are we together? So Jesus is not like David. Jesus is not like David. For the Jews to understand that he was God, he confers deity upon him. All right. Again, it was used by, by John in John chapter 4, verse 22, the word Savior was used. I told you it was used in Luke 1, 47, Luke 2, 11, and then it was used by John in John chapter 4, verse 42. Praise the Lord. So you see, Luke confers deity upon Christ in Luke 1, 47, Luke 2, 11. All right? The same way we see Paul in his epistles do. And then John in John chapter 4, verse 42 says, and said unto the woman, now this is now the people, the Samaritan woman, she met Jesus, she was blessed by Jesus, she went and testified in the city, people came and met Jesus, and after they met Jesus, what did they say? They say to the woman, now we believe not because of this, of your saying, now because she went and said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done, all right? Could this be the Christ? Oh, there was a rap song back in the day. Say, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Every place I've ever been. Everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Supposed to be the truth. And that truth equates to light. Jesus is the Christ. They went, she went and told them, there's a man I've met. He's a prophet. This could be the Christ. He's told me everything about my life. They took off, went and met him. When they met him, they came and said to the woman, now we believe, not because of your saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that he is, that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. All right? So the Bible is very clear. The savior of the world is Christ. Why am I telling you these things that are very, very specific? Why are we learning these things? Because one day you will meet somebody who believes that Jesus was just a prophet. Praise the Lord. So it's important we look at them. Now in the book of Acts, Acts 5.31, it says, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Luke, uh, sorry, Acts 5.31. Now, am I making content? Uh, am I making sense? So if we send Franca to preach and she's trying to communicate about Jesus, she can like, you know, if she's speaking to people who have never heard of the concept of king, the best you can use is maybe president or emperor. Jesus is like your president, you know, he runs the, you know, he runs your life, you know, he runs the, 
because it's the historical context. So they were using the terms like king and prince. Are we together? Yeah. Other places would have said, you know, like where God is from, you know, but context, context is important. So you ascribe that kind of title to try and explain the spiritual reality of Jesus. So when you say he's a king in your life, when you sing King Jesus is the king of kings, King Jesus is the Lord of lords. When you're saying king, are you saying that he reigns in your life? Are you, you are under his government. You are under his rulership, under his dominion. Therefore, if you are there, Satan ain't got nothing on it. Hallelujah. All right. Acts 5.31 uses the term prince. You, you've seen that? It uses the word prince. So these are very important lessons for us to learn. It says, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You see, they use that term. God has exalted him to be a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Why? Because they would understand that particular term. God has lifted him up in a place of authority like a prince to save us, to bring repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Are we together? And Acts 13 verse 23 says, Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a savior, Jesus. Hallelujah. Acts 13 verse 23. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a savior, Jesus. So Jesus is described categorically, specifically as the savior. So from Luke's account of Peter and Paul's explanation respectively, it was upon the exaltation of Jesus that he became savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Are we together? From the accounts of, from, of Luke, which is the book of Acts, from Luke's account of Peter and Paul, in the book of Acts, please listen. In the book of Acts 5.31, that is the account of Peter. Peter was testifying, all right? Acts 13 verse 23, Paul was testifying. So from the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, from Luke's account of in the book of Acts, which he documented Peter and Paul's explanations, it was upon the exaltation of Jesus that he became savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. It was upon his exaltation that he became savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Are we together? But Jesus did it even before his exaltation. The woman who was about to be stoned with adultery, what did Jesus tell her? Go and sin no more. And the man who was brought in and Lord from the roof, he said, your sins are forgiven you. He asked them, which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven of you or pick up your mat and go. And of course, if I was to ask you, if we were to bring a leper here and I ask you, 
This guy is sick. All right? And I tell you, which one is easier to say to this person who is a bedridden? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up, pick up your mat and go. Which one is easier? Your sins are forgiven. But to show them that also Jesus has the power to forgive sins, let me show you that even this other one is so simple. If I can deal with the hard one, then you can believe the simple one, right? Rise up, go. Jesus told him, pick up your mat. Go. The guy woke up, picked his mat and went. So if I can, he can heal. He can tell somebody who was sick to rise up. Somebody who was bedridden on the verge of death, just get up and go. Surely, what is to forgive sins then? It is easy. You understand now? So Jesus was also doing healing to preempt people about salvation. He healeth our broken hearts. He bandeth up the broken hearted and healeth our, 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 our wounds to show that he is the bishop of our soul by his stripes we are healed. The healing is also from the sick, sickly nature that sin brings to the soul. Are we together? So these signs and wonders were pointing towards the greatest miracle, which is salvation. Praise God. Are we together? So you see how Jesus was also setting up a, what do you call it? Our precedence for now the true salvation through the healings and everything. Okay. So Jesus is now saving the entire world, saving because he's been exalted and he's now saving us from our sins. But before that, he was still pre, uh, setting a precedent by healing and saying, Your sins are forgiven of you. You get it? To show them of the power, the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Amen. And now we see him do it because he's been exalted. So, now we will go to the epistles, we'll look at a couple, and then we'll continue next Sunday. This series of salvation will do a thorough learning. By the time you're done with this thing, you will never be questioned, or you will never doubt the subject of Christ's work of salvation. It's, it's a lengthy subject that we will do as much as God enables us. Praise the Lord. In the epistles... Paul uses the word savior in Ephesians 5.23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. He is the savior of the body, which means the body of Christ, which is the church. He is our savior. All right? Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence, we also, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence, we look, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? It was used by Paul. And also you remember when the Bible is talking about Jesus being the Savior of the body, the church. Praise the Lord. In those two verses, Ephesians 5.23 and Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is talking about the resurrection of the body. That Jesus is not only saving our soul, but also our body. 
Do you understand that? That we will have glorified bodies. That we will also resurrect with him. We'll be caught up with him. Are we together? Even those who have died in the Lord, their bodies will also be saved. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? Yes. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Now, um, First Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Then First Timothy 2.3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So Paul here was referring to Jesus Christ. Thus again, he confirms the deity of Christ. He used God and Jesus interchangeably. And he did the same in other letters where he used God and Christ interchangeably. All right? Okay? So Paul here was referring to Jesus Christ and he confirms his deity. So he uses it interchangeably and you see it in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially to those that believe. All right? Second Timothy 1.10 says, but it is now made manifest by the appearing of our savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. These amazing scriptures, just jot them down. Titus 1.3 says, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Titus 1.3. Titus 1.4 says, to Titus, my own son, after uh, the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Titus 2.10 says, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 3.4 says, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And then Titus 3.6 says, which has shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Wow, many scriptures. So the Savior is the one who carries out the act of saving. Hence, being a Savior for Jesus is an office. Being a Savior for Jesus is an office. What is an office? When we say office of the Prime Minister, office of the President, what do we say? It's to the function. The function, the authority, the jurisdiction. Are we together? So when you want certain favors and you come, maybe I am a, I'm a minister of a certain, um, what do you call it? A certain ministry or docket in government, or I am a governor. And then you come to me with a letter addressed from the office of the president. Okay? Addressed from the office of the president. It gives you a certain kind of favor. 
and it validates you, right? To show that I should act and I should treat you as one who has found favor and the blessing of the president. That means I will handle you differently. Are we together? Now, we are in a democracy where sometimes there's a lot of bickering based on partisan politics and everything. But in those days, if it was by the word of the king, it was not questioned. Okay? You've seen those movies that come in the name of the king. Hmm? It was not to be questioned in their name, in that office. So the savior is the one who carries out the act. So being a savior for Jesus is an office. Also, just like in Luke 147 and Luke 211, Paul here was confirming the deity of Jesus. He calls him our savior because the savior is God that became a man. He explained this truth in his first letter to Timothy. He says, 1 Timothy 3.16, to rubber stamp that concept and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Remember the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, which means that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So he's a savior, but not like any other kind of savior. He's a savior, he's a prince, he's a king, but not like any other kind of king. He is divine. He's divine. King of kings, Lord of lords. Praise the Lord. The only other guy who had that title of king of kings, Lord of lords, ended up going beast mode. You didn't get the joke. Nebuchadnezzar, he became a beast. Uh, and ate grass for seven years. All right? Okay? Are we together? So it shows the deity of Jesus Christ. My goodness, these are amazing statements. So um, because of time, I would stop there today. Praise the Lord. But there are key takeaways that I want you to take home. The key takeaways are this, that number one, the Savior is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your Savior. He has saved you from sin and its consequences. That Jesus is the savior. Two, he has saved you from sin and its consequences. And three, he is not like any other savior. He is divine. He's not like any other savior. He is divine. And number four, he has brought you under his dominion, authority, jurisdiction, and rule. That Jesus has brought you under his dominion, jurisdiction, authority, and rule. Therefore, he is able to protect you because that's what a savior does. So who's your king? 
Who's your king? So the same way the ancient or historical context, sorry, the same way in history, men would go in the name of the king. And sometimes they would carry a scroll, a letter. In the name of the king, and that would be treated as authority. Even as we go in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you have no authority or any hold over the people of God because we are living in a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. We are under God. Amen. And so we are under his jurisdiction. Therefore, Satan has no dominion over you. Neither do the works of darkness have any dominion over you. You are under Christ. You are in Christ. He, you are in him. He is in you. That is your savior. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this wonderful teaching of salvation. We thank you that today we have learned our savior is Jesus Christ. He is our savior and prince who has brought to us deliverance and repentance. Therefore, we are not under the dominion of sin, neither are we afraid of the consequences of sin or the punishment thereof, because we have been saved from our sins. We thank you, Lord, for your word says, he was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. Therefore, we are justified with a justification, with a justice that goes into the depths like the ocean and a righteousness that is as strong as the mighty mountains. God, we bless you and we thank you for this is our identity in Christ. He is our savior. Therefore, we live with this confidence that we are not under the dominion of Satan or under the dominion of sin or under the dominion of darkness, but we are under the dominion of our King, Jesus Christ. So we bless you and we thank you. We say glory and praise be to his name. He that dwells in us, he that rules in us, he that is enthroned in our hearts, Jesus Christ, glory be to his name, that with him we are reigning through life. With him, we are living victoriously. With him, we are living in freedom and liberty and enjoying all the wonderful benefits that are found in the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and we bless you because this is a faithful saying and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and that he has done for all of us. How we bless you, how we honor you, for it is in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen.